This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club and this is your show. What a difference a week makes. This time last week, the podcast was the audio version of the This Is Fine Dog in the Burning Bar meme. But after wins over Arsenal and Aston Villa, everything is running smoothly again. City are back on top of the Premier League table, albeit having played a game more, and it feels like they have the momentum they need for a title run-in once again. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast. On today's show, we'll be looking over the key talking points of the last two matches and focusing on the performances. We've said for a while that we've wanted to see more from Pep Guardiola's side, so have we seen that in the last seven days? It's Nottingham Forest next, so we'll hear from journalist and Forest fan Nick Miller later on to find out more about their season so far. Plus, Sam Roscoe takes us on a trip down memory lane to City's last visit to the City ground. Then the Champions League returns, so we'll hear from German journalists Guido Schaefer and Philipp Hinzer on what to expect from RB Leipzig when City travel there on Wednesday. It's been a good week, so let's get straight into it. I'm David Mooney, and I'm joined this week by City fan Ali Fogg. Hi, Dave. Hi, everyone. And the Daily Mail's Jack Gorn. Hello, David. So, uh, yes, two uh, two great results. Jack, uh, we'll start with you because uh, when when I asked you yesterday um, ahead of the game if you would uh, happily do the podcast and you said uh, like it was one of those where it was really going to be on a knife edge whether this was going to be a good show or not. Uh, and I didn't realise you were going to get home at 3.30 in the morning. So thank you very yeah. much for, uh, for so it was on, a day, on a day off as well. Yeah, so it was on a knife edge whether the show was going to be a good one or not. So you decided to get me on, which is, <laughs> that's on your head. Yeah. But uh, but it is a good show because uh, it was a great performance. Uh, yeah, it, they were really they were really good. Uh, Arsenal thought it was one of those one of those nights that could prove pivotal uh, at the end of the season, which is quite easy to say, isn't it? But it did have that sort of feeling that they kind of wrestled something away from Arsenal in that second half, um, and like the air went out of Arsenal's balloon a little bit because they. Bit, the atmosphere was absolutely incredible. It had yeah. been built up like a cup final, and you know the whole place was whipped up to, into such a frenzy about ten fifteen minutes before um, before kickoff. It was really quite a hostile atmosphere, which did, is not something you would ordinarily sort of say about the Emirates. Did the did the first half kind of play into that as well with the manner of City's goal, the fact that they got a penalty, and like just you know just things like that. Yeah, yeah, I think. Um, I think certain things that happened on the night were a product of what was going on in the stands a little bit. Um, I thought both teams played the occasion um, more than you would expect them to. Or you'd expect Arsenal to, but not City quite so much. Um, and obviously there was the you know, the booking for, for time wasted and things like that, which all sort of, I don't know, just, yeah, it just fed into how, how the night was going. Yeah, Ali. The uh, as we said there, City back on top of the table on goal difference, played a game more. It's it, it is big to go back on top, though, isn't it? Even though even though they've they've uh, they do have that extra game. Yeah, I'm not overly fussed whether we're one position above or behind on goal difference with a game more to play and that kind of thing. Uh, but the fact that we have closed the gap from you know, a couple of weeks ago it was looking like it could open into double figures, um, and it's now gone. We're we're now level picking. We've got all the momentum. Uh, it feels to me like if if, uh, if the season, if the Premier League season was a, a Shakespeare play or whatever, it felt like we'd just finished Act Two, um, and we go into the the final stretch now, 
you know, more or less level pegging, but feeling really good about everything. So, uh, as you said at the beginning, what a difference a week makes. But you know, um, you know, considering the the spell we've had since the World Cup, which is kind of, you know, if you want to talk about the Act Two, was probably that, that would have been it. Um, it hasn't been great for us. We haven't been playing particularly well. Uh, obviously, stuff off the pitch has been you know, a massive distraction and and uh, has done terrible things to my head, and I presume that applies to most of our listeners as well. Um, but we've we've finished it, you know, level pegging with Arsenal and, and going into the final stretch, um, you know, starting to play well and, and looking like we know what we're doing again. So yeah, happy days. Yeah, comedy or tragedy though, that's the question. <laughs> it's always a bit of both with City. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would probably say the comedy has been on the pitch uh in the last few weeks because they've been a they have been a shambles, really, haven't they? They it's have been at, at times, yeah. Well, let's, I mean, let's get into that though, Jack, because um, what of the the performances against Villa and Arsenal? I mean, Villa's an interesting one because they started really, really well in that and then slowed down. But Guardiola said afterwards he thought he, he thought the second half would they, they were better, and then Arsenal yeah, really, felt, really shocked me. It really shocked yeah. me that he came out and said that. But then Arsenal, it felt like they started really slowly and sped up as the game went on and just wrestled control of it. So it's a really kind of like two interesting games for for kind of the way they've controlled them. Yeah, uh, I've got to be honest, this week has been a little bit of a blur and I've not watched either of the games back. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's like, that's a classic pep thing to say um, on Sunday after the Villa game. It's like, oh, you you all think we were really good when we scored three goals um, in the first <laughs> half. But actually, we were really good when we looked like we might concede a second. And it, yeah, anyway, Um <laughs> Yeah, I thought the uh, the Arsenal, the, the Villa one was a little bit, I don't really want to use the word complacency because I wouldn't know whether they were complacent or not in the second half, but it just, it looked like a really good team that had quite a comfortable lead and then just played within themselves for a bit. But obviously Villa are quite good. So um, took the chance and then, yeah, could have, uh, could have nicked another one as well. Whereas Arsenal, I... I thought they grew into it. They'd started okay and then sort of seeded a little bit of ground in midfield. Um, it's kind of after of they the, scored, wasn't it? Yeah. And then, the good, I mean, the, the great thing about um, Wednesday night was the fact that they, they sort of corrected the issues. Um, I, said, I, I said to him last night after the match, it's like, do you think that was more down to character or do you think it was, you know, knowing being able to react to, to how certain things were going wrong in the game and he sort of said it was a was a character thing rather than rather than anything else, which is a positive for them. Um but I also think the sort of Bernardo situation needed correcting and I thought they were I thought they were excellent once they went to a sort of traditional back four. I don't yeah. really un- I, I maybe because I'm thick, but I just don't really understand why they need to to place that burden on Bernardo to go and play in two positions at the same time. I just don't get it. Yeah. Well, let's... Um, Ali, I want to play this. This is uh, Jack Grealish speaking to Amazon uh, after the game. Um, just have a listen to what he says and then I'll get your thoughts on it after. If I'm being honest, I don't think we actually played that well. Um, I think Arsenal played a lot better than us. I thought they were the better team. Really? I haven't seen... I think yeah. so. Did they have more possession and stuff? Yeah. They did, yeah. 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 Um, I'm 36% guessing. possession for you 36. guys. 36. Yeah. Lowest under the manager's passed us, Pep Guardiola, in his time at the club. 
<laughs> God knows then. Uh, yeah, I don't really want to say tomorrow. much about that. Um, no. yeah, that's what I mean. I thought I thought they were the better team. I don't know what you guys think. I thought you know they had a few chances and stuff. But um, listen, I think if you if you win titles and stuff, you've got to come to grounds like this. And and even when you're not at your best, you've got to win games. And um, that's what me and Riyad said, you know, to each other on the bench. It's interesting because I watched the highlights back um, ahead of ahead of recording today, and every single one of the key moments is an Enketia header early on. Then after that, it's all City key moments. Were you watching on yeah. the Man City YouTube? <laughs> I wasn't. No, I watched the Sky Sports. <laughs> The uh, first thing I think about that interview is it reminds me yet again how great Jack is at doing those kind of interviews. <laughs> uh, it's so rare to have a footballer uh, who speaks naturally and, and with personality and, and as if he is actually thinking about the question he's been asked and, and giving an honest response. Um, incredibly rare most footballers. Uh, but um, I think City played below what they know their uh, capacity can be. Uh, so particularly in the first half, they were a bit nervy. Uh, they allowed, maybe gave Arsenal a bit too much respect and, and allowed them to play and occasionally allowed us, uh, or occasionally pushed us back into our own half, that kind of thing. Um, second half was a very different game. And I think it's probably fair to say that Arsenal were the better team in the first half, but there wasn't a lot in it. And, and yeah, it was it was more or less a toe-to-toe kind of 45 minutes. Um, second half, I thought we absolutely bullied them. And the longer it went on, the better we got. And it really, there's such a cliche to talk about uh, sending a message with a, with a result, but it really did feel like we made a statement um, with, with you know, kind of the, the last... 20, 30 minutes of that match, uh, they were remarkable. Um, particularly, I think it was um, uh, someone, one of the interviews, it wasn't Jack, it might have been Erling Haaland, I think we'll go on to talk about in, in a moment. Uh, he said that he didn't really know what Pep had done at half time. Yeah, I, in uh, fact, I can I can play that now because it's. Uh, yeah, go we, for it. We, we, we've got it. We've got uh, this was this was Haaland speaking to uh, to Amazon um, uh, after the game. He, he, just about the the tweaks that Guardiola made. Small adjustments in uh, the half time from Pep and uh, and uh, yeah, in the end we are good quality players and we have to get it out uh, every single player and uh, this is exactly what we did today. What were those adjustments by Pep at half time? I honestly, I don't remember. I'm so happy. <laughs> I don't remember now. Yeah, no, I, I thought, Ali, if I'm being honest, I thought he knew exactly what it was and he was just saying, listen, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not telling you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 that probably was it. But I mean, it looked really obvious to me that what Pep had said is do not give them an inch in their own half. When they are trying to play out from the back or when they are knocking it about between their defenders, get in their face, get in their faces, get in their shorts, get in their boots um, and just hassle them and harry them and, and hound them down. And that's what we did and it really worked. And I think for me, it, it, it kind of reminded me of something that uh, one of the great qualities of Pep Guardiola teams at their best is they are incredibly hard working for all the skill for all the tactical genius and you know, formations and and all the technical stuff we talk about um, Pep Guardiola teams at their best work insanely hard and when you saw uh, Haaland and Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo and Jack Grealish uh, Maris when he was still on the pitch um, 
absolutely hounding those Arsenal defenders and, and forcing them into mistakes again and again and again. Even Zinchenko was giving away the ball in his, in his own penalty box because they were absolutely terrorised by what we were doing to them. Um, and that was, the, that was the huge difference, I think, between the first half and the second half. Uh, and it was really obvious that that was a, a Guardiola instruction. They'd, they'd just been yelled at and told to get in their faces. Um, and it worked. And, and you know, I hope we remember that going forward. Yeah, I, I, Jack, you mentioned before um, about kind of burdening Bernardo with uh, the, the sort of left-back situation. Um, Villa's first goal came from basically Bernardo having no protection behind him and, and him giving the ball away. And then City looked a, a lot more in control of the game against Arsenal when Ake uh, moved to, to left-back and they had a bit more of a conventional setup. So in, in terms of kind of going forward, is this is this, is this something you can see him sticking no, well, I think he said on the um, I think he said on the telly last night that it um, it was his fault and it's not something he'll do again. I think I've said him watch the telly. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's the end of the the end of the experiment. Although it's weird because on Sunday I didn't think he really played sort of left backy on Sunday. Maybe it's because Villa dropping into centre backy, wasn't it? Yeah. It would. I one of my editors said to me on Sunday night, Monday morning, so I think we should do we think we should do something on Bernardo playing at left back. Like surely they can't play him there on Wednesday. because uh, Saka will have him on toast. I said to him, I was like, he wasn't really playing at left back against Villa. And I don't think he will on Wednesday. Uh, and then he did old. and Saka had him on toast. <laughs> yeah. Looked uh yeah, I ended up looking like pretty silly. Um but yeah they they wanted it just seems like, I don't want to sound like Fabian Delph, but it just seems like quite basic, doesn't it? It's like, just play a back four. They all know what they're doing. If you want someone to move into midfield, then you can have Walker do it. But then you you had Bernardo next to Rodri anyway. Um, and if you play like that, it allows you it allows your full-backs to, to go and get forward and go and join in. So you, you're overloading in different areas of the pitch. I know he wants to do it in the middle, but... Um, I don't know, it just seems like they had more balance uh, and looks a bit more cohesive when when Ake came on. But yeah. I th- but I've always thought they look best when they're sort of symmetrical uh, across the pitch. But, you know, the results speak for themselves, don't they, over, over a number of years. So I always thought that, but then I, I always wonder if it's just that I like symmetrical things. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it doesn't look right if it's not symmetrical, and I don't like. Yeah, that. I mean, I'm not quite as sort of OCD <laughs> as you, am I? So, um, but yeah, it's, it does look. It looks neater, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. You've got it's got to look nice. And that's the, that's the first thing, and then whether it works or not, we sort that problem out afterwards. Um, Ali, the other the other uh, aspects of this week, um, solid, solidity has maybe come from the fact that uh, Ruben Diaz has been back in the team. Um, they look really good in the first half against Villa. Diaz is there, um, and then against Arsenal, he made more blocks uh, than both goalkeepers made saves, uh, which just kind of goes to show what like what he brings to City, I guess. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, it's great to have him back. Uh, I think we are still missing John Stones. Um, I think the two of those are, are su- such important players for us. Uh, and I, I will be more comfortable when we actually know what our, our back four is meant to be, our kind of first choice back four, uh, because we're miles away from that. But no, Ruben back, it made an enormous difference, particularly against Villa. You could really see it. Um, there was a there was a challenge he made quite early on. I think maybe against Watkins, um, 
where he he approached full on uh, and you know took him out, flattened him. It wasn't a foul. It maybe could have been. I had some chat with some friends after about whether he could have had a, a foul and a yellow for that one. Um, but it just kind of asserted his authority on that back line, um, and that's what we've been missing. It's it's the way he he you know barks orders at the players around him uh, and just kind of exudes this uh you know monumental power and and authority and everything he does and it, there's no doubt one of the reasons we were really struggling uh through january is that ruben was well ruben and john stones weren't there um but you know having one or other one or other of them back again is really important and and yeah uh, fingers crossed, we can get we can get all of them up and firing and and at full full speed before too long. Yeah, um, Jack, let's talk about uh, Erling Haaland because uh, twenty six Premier League goals now. Um, that's level with the most in a single Premier League season for City. That was Aguero in uh, in twenty fourteen fifteen. Uh, he's got more goals on his own than Chelsea, Palace, Forest, Wolves, West Ham, Everton, Bournemouth, and Southampton. Uh, he's now got enough to have won the Golden Boot in eighteen of the of uh, the previous thirty Premier League seasons. So only. 12 more to go. Um, Do you do those maths yourself? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, 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 I struggle a little bit sometimes when numbers get over 10 because I, I have to take my shoes and socks off. But, you know. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> as this week basically shown that if... like City don't really need to put the ball directly to him. They just need to find it, find the space behind the back line and he will cause problems. You think of... Yeah, of, but the problem is they don't... They, there's no space normally, is there? That's, yeah. I thought he would score more goals in the big games than he has done already this year. Because, because there'd be more space. There is more space, yeah. Uh, I thought he... Basically, they went man for man on him last night, didn't they? Uh, and if you do that, you get into situations like what happened for the penalty that was overturned um, because he's just... Well, he's brute, isn't he? Um, and will out-muscle out and overpower many a defender... Um, yeah, he sort of. I th- I thought Arsenal was one of his better performances, even though he only scored once. He scored like tons of hat tricks already, hasn't he? But just the way he brought others into play, and he seems to be adapting to the needs of teammates a little bit more than he has been. Yeah, uh, and I see. You know, it's a two way, it's a two way thing with Haaland. Yeah, City have to learn to play with him. But he has to also learn what makes certain players tick. So you'd have a different, you'd make a different run when De Bruyne has the ball to when Gundogan has the ball. You might come shorter if Gundogan has it or Bernardo. Whereas De Bruyne, you want to be hanging on the last. Yeah. yeah, you want to hang on the last man, don't you? I think he, that he's sort of developing that or has done over the last few weeks. There was a moment, I think it was in the first half, where um, he could have shot and he, he seemed to drill it across the face of goal. And I thought that, that that felt a little bit kind of like, oh, Guardiola's kind of, he's starting to mould him a little bit here because it's the sort of thing where City gets... Yeah, I don't, know whether, I, I don't know whether Pep has told him that if you're on the edge of the six-yard box to square it to nobody. I don't think that's an instruction. <laughs> that's not what I meant, but it's like there, there, should, there should have been somebody flying in and there wasn't. It's like... I, I, I accept that that's, that's been a City thing for the last three years or so. But, you know, it's it's one of those where uh, I think Grealish said it in his uh, in his interview with uh, with Amazon where, um, because when he scored, uh, Gundogan obviously played the ball across to him. And he, I, I think he said, uh, if that was early, then I, I, I was never getting that. It's the, it's the sort of, it's the understanding about when when to play it, when to shoot sort of thing. Because it's it'd be very easy, if you've got Haaland's talent, it'd be very easy to go, right, I'm in the box, I'm hitting this. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
that was quite a good uh, a good example of that was uh, Grealish's goal um, at Arsenal, where Haaland's on the edge of the box. I looked at him and went, go on then, shoot. And he's not, he's oh, yeah, squared he it to yeah. Gundogan and then it's been squared against Grealish, ends up in the net because they've manufactured a better position to, to score from. And then there was one at Spurs the other week, um, I think it was quite late on in the game, where he had like two yards of space, about 20 yards out. I was like, go on, hit it. And he's passed it. And I go, no, why have you not had a shot there? But that's because the the way they play and how they manoeuvre teams about. So on that Spurs one, he, I think he passed it to Greenish on the left-hand side or, or someone out there. It, it's just sort of becoming ingrained in his brain. But that, that that example from Spurs, you just you don't want him to lose that sort of instinct. He's going to have a shot because Haaland's that good that he, he battered that in from twenty yards. Yeah. You don't need sometimes you don't need to find that last pass, yeah. but it's just striking a balance. I think. Yeah, the number of times Ali where I thought um, Arsenal were at sixes and sevens just because Haaland was there, like he wasn't even like he wasn't even in possession. He was just like he was just in the vicinity of the defenders, and suddenly they, it's like chaos was. It it, it didn't chaos didn't happen, but you felt like it was it was yeah, it was almost on the verge of happening. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it, occasionally it did. Um, it, it's almost impossible, I think, to to defend against Haaland when you're shoulder to shoulder and a long ball comes in. Uh, if you're um, uh, Salibar or whoever's marking him, uh, how do you possibly compete with that size and physique and, and the height he can jump? All you can do is kind of hope that uh, whatever he knocks down like goes the wrong way or that you get to the, the ball after um, because he's going to win again and again. And I think that one of the things that was most disappointing about the Tottenham uh, performance a few weeks ago, seems a long time ago now, um, is that we weren't doing that. And I think if we had done that a bit more, just, you know, like, hoofed, particularly, you know, Ederson can do it all day, but, you know, hoofed some long balls over their midfield and, and uh, yeah, hope that Alan knocks it down or picks it up or turns in it or all the, the different combination of things he can do. Um, because it, it's a phenomenal weapon that we've got there. And, you know, obviously there's a lot more to Alan's game than that. But it is... Uh, it's such a direct way into any defence. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe if uh, you know, a peak Virgil Van Dijk uh, was was up against him shoulder to shoulder, he might have a chance. But there are very, very, very few centre halves in world football that can possibly cope with Haaland when you, when you're dropping the ball in his head over forty yards, um, and especially when we've got players, not just Ederson, but you know our our uh, our own centre backs who can play dangerous long balls and, and uh, put it on his head and you know, deliver it on a sixpence. Uh, so, yeah, the, one of the reasons we have played so well against Villa and uh, Arsenal last night is precisely because we were prepared to take the chance on you know, losing control and losing the ball in order to get the benefits of, you know, one time in three, one time in four, Haaland will win and he'll come out on top. Yeah. Um, was, I mean, we could have had more. Guardiola said in the in the post match afterwards uh, that the first half they would just play they were they, effectively in the first half they were just hoofing it in the second half they were they were actually considering where they were playing the uh, the high balls to and it like it's it is a subtle difference that there, there is a difference between a hoof ball forward for somebody to chase and a long ball to a, a target man yeah uh, 
but it's easy to mix the two up. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy for one to look like the other when it goes well or goes badly. <laughs> yeah, I would, I mean, I maybe would argue that Edison's uh, ball over for, G- for Grealish to chase for the uh, for the opening goal was uh, was a bit more of a hoof than a than a considered yeah. high ball. But you know, here we are. Um, I mean, to be fair, I, mean, I don't think Edison ever actually just hoofs it. He's always got a a, a target in mind, uh, and it's usually Haaland, but often it's the winger, it's Mares or or Grealish. Um, and yeah, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but he's he's given, as we say in my part of the world, he's given it a proper welly. Yeah. <laughs> Let's chat about the sponsor of this week's show, NordVPN. Um, have either of you ever used a VPN before, Jack? You've you've been on plenty of European away games. You must have uh, you must have needed to use a VPN in the past. Uh, yes, because I'm so technolo- technologically savvy, I have used a VPN before. Good, uh, very helpful. Yeah, uh, preseason tours and stuff like that as well. I guess when you when you head over to places like China, you got you, yeah, you got you yeah, to check your them. emails and stuff like that. Yeah, use them in uh, in China uh, to get get to emails and, and Google and things like that. So. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's quite valuable. Yeah, very handy. Uh, well, nobody likes to be watched or tracked, even if you've got nothing to hide. That's why it's important to step up your privacy game. When you're browsing through a VPN, your traffic is encrypted, so nobody can see what you do online. You can listen to the Blue Moon podcast without anyone finding out that that's exactly what you're doing, so no need to have shame there. Uh, that makes VPNs perfect if you use public Wi-Fi a lot. Jack, does that apply to you as well? Because you, you must work all over the place. Uh, yeah, it's just an extra level of security in it. Yeah. Um, which is quite handy, particularly, you know, um, my industry, people would like to see what you're doing. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite. Uh, well, VPN, it secures your connection so you can browse privately as well. Um, hackers trying to steal your data on public hotspots can't see your traffic. The same goes for government agencies, marketers, your internet service provider. They can't collect your browsing history and messages when you're using a VPN. You can also use a VPN to access content from home while you're abroad, as we talked about before. Uh, it means if websites are blocked in the country that you're in, you can still access them with NordVPN. Get NordVPN, download the app and connect to a VPN server to forget about internet restrictions. So if you'd like to try NordVPN and do it while helping out the Blue Moon podcast as well, simply go to nordvpn.com forward slash Blue Moon. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash Blue Moon to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan and a bonus gift as well. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So head on over right now to nordvpn.com forward slash Blue Moon. You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Ali, is there a conversation to be had about Edison while we're uh, while we're talking about him? Because just looking at this week, um, possibly should do better, could do better with the Villa goal. Um, then the Arsenal penalty comes along and he's, you know, he's, it's one of those that maybe isn't given most weeks, but it is there and it's clumsy and... You know, it's it's it, it doesn't look great. And then I, I'm just I'm basically I'm wondering at what point does does his quality on the ball and his footwork stop outweighing the fact that sometimes he doesn't make saves when he should do? I think we've just about got to the point where it's reasonable for us to have that conversation. Um, yeah, he he's not been great this season by his own standards, and it's not just his you know shot stopping and his his work with his hands um, has been slightly below where you might like it to be. Uh, I'm not actually sure his delivery and and his uh, his uh, playing out you know from his feet has been quite up to the level that it's been in previous years. Um, 
but it's not quite dropped far enough that you would even consider dropping him, however good Stefan Ortega is, is coming through and, and looking. Um, I think the Ederson is Ederson. He will always you know, throw himself about like a glumping elephant at times. Um, he will always... Uh, <sighs> He will take risks, uh, and occasionally he'll come a cropper. Um, he's not the best shot-stopping goalkeeper uh, the world has ever seen, um, but he is what he is, and he brings so many qualities. And I'm not worried about him yet. I would I would like him to to produce a few more top class saves. I will say that the um, the Villa goal. Uh, I didn't really blame him so much. I thought maybe he could have shot, stopped it, but that was just our... Everyone had lost concentration for a moment. Yeah. Um, the, the ball out from uh, Laporte to Bernardo was uh, five yards short. Uh, Bernardo picked it up and could have got away, but turned the wrong way into... Uh, again, was Watkins again? Um, and lost the ball when he probably shouldn't. Uh, Akanji was all over the place and should have stopped it there. And then the, the shot came in really quickly, and Ederson maybe could have got there. Uh, and it just looked like everybody had fallen asleep a little bit, and I'm not particularly blaming. At the time, uh, Ederson was about fourth on my list of people to blame for that goal. Uh, when I've looked at it since, like, okay, yeah. He's, he's moving up it a bit. <laughs> the, yeah, the, the he's Villa, moved up a little bit. The Villa goal sort of kind of sums Ederson up a little bit for me, really, is that... You wouldn't necessarily expect him to stop it, but I don't think anyone ever thought he was going to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it'd be really helpful for City if he actually bailed them out in a game once in a while. Like you see it with all the top teams. Look at De Gea at United. Like the amount of times that he's bailed them out and won them points or uh, made sure they've gone through in a cup competition. It just be having someone reliable with the hands behind allows them to have an off night. Whereas I don't think City can have an off night. And I'm thinking about the sort of Champions League with this, where if they go, argument say they go and play PSG or Bayern Munich in a quarter final or a semi final, and they're not playing well away from home and they're under the cosh a little bit, they need the goalkeeper to make five or six saves. I just don't, I, I can't see him. I can't see him producing that sort of performance. I think, was it against, uh, was it Chelsea in the Carabao Cup when Stefan Ortega came in, like way back in about August, um, and produced four or five world-class saves in yeah. the space of 90 minutes? And I remember saying to friends after, um, I think it was the best goalkeeping performance we'd seen at Manchester City since the glory days of Joe Hart. Uh, and I think that was quite striking because you know, Ederson, for all his qualities and, and for his, you know, personality and the presence that he brings and all the rest of it. You know, he's a massive player for us. Um, but just as a goalkeeper, um, you know, it's a long time since we've had, you know, a, a goalkeeper being anywhere close to man of the match um, and, and keeping another team out. Um, and, you know, the, it's a bit unfortunate that we went out the Carabao Cup a little bit early and that we haven't had more uh, kind of, straightforward cup fixtures this season because I think Ortega um, he's good enough that he could potentially put pressure on Ederson and I think all it would take is for Ederson to do a hamstring or something be out for a, a couple of months um, and, and you could almost believe Ortega would, co would come in and, and put in the kind of performances that would really put him under pressure and maybe that's what he needs Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, just finally then, Jack, let's uh, let's finish the first part of the show on, uh, they always say save the best to last, so uh, Rodri. Um, a bit of a dodgy game against Spurs, but then, I mean, two player of the match performances this week for me. Yeah, well, he, he looked he looked shattered against Spurs, um, but I, there's not there's not a great deal to say about Rodri. He's just he's the best sitting midfielder in the division. That's just is, isn't he? It's just a yeah. fact. Um, and yeah, he just he was supremely good against Arsenal. The, the number of times against Arsenal where, because um, I, I I wasn't there, I watched it on the telly, the number of times where suddenly he was in camera shot again and you think, the camera's just panned from somewhere else. How have you got there? Yeah. he's not Obviously, he's not the quickest, is he, as well? It's just, yeah. <laughs> he, he just really, he just can read the game brilliantly and um, he's, you know, again, like you wouldn't say this about a City team five years ago, would you? But he's another one who's powerful and wins his battles and which is sort of a, Kind of Yadar thing to say, isn't it, these days? But <laughs> like, it's true. Like, he just puts himself about, muscles people off the ball, easy, you know, eases attackers out of the way, and has incredible vision as well. So, it no, absolutely no surprise that um, he's reacted to that Spurs game by by what he's done over the last few days. Yeah, Ali. I, I guess um, we've talked about City refinding their their feet this season. Um, I guess Rodri refinding his feet is is a big part of that. Hugely. Uh, and there's another thing I've noticed about him. He he seems to have picked up a bit of an edge over the last few weeks. Have you noticed this? He's been um, that business with the wanting the penalty was <laughs> downright bizarre the other day. Um, I, mean, I missed this. What, what, sure what happened there? there? We're still not quite sure. I think maybe that Haaland had already had a knock in his thigh and was a little bit worried about whether or not he could put everything into taking a penalty. And then there was a, like, Mares would have stepped up to it and Rodri was like, nope, I want it. And Gundogan had to step in and, and sort it all out. It I missed, I missed this entirely. And the only penalty I've ever seen Rodri take was horrendous. So why it would was, he, why it, would he it want to in. do that? <laughs> but yeah, no, he he just he 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 had a bit of a moment. He was like, no, I'm doing this, and and, and Gundogan had to kind of put him back in his place. But there've been various times he's kind of like he's gone, you know, charging into confrontations, and he's he's developed a bit of a Bernardino to him. Um, and and obviously it's helping his game as well. He he really looks fired up at the moment. Um and yeah, and, and his his uh his performance has been all, all the better for it. But no, he's he's a I've always been a Rodri fan, even when people had their doubts. Uh I I, I once called him the impenetrable wall of Spaniard. It's like I, I, it must be a nightmare trying to get past him if you're an opposing midfielder. because uh, he, he's not the quickest, but he takes up a lot of space. Yeah, it's his arse, I think. Uh, he, he uses his arse really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's absolutely one of the reasons why we're you know back approaching something our best form is because Rodri uh, is back on his best form, and he is one of those players. When he plays well, we usually win, uh, and if he plays badly, we're not the same team. Yeah. Now it's time to look ahead to the game with Nottingham Forest. Let's start by introducing the journalist with the Athletic and Forest fan, Nick Miller. Hi, Nick. 
Hello, how you doing? Not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. Uh, we're going to get into uh, this game uh, shortly, but first, uh, it's been more than 20 years since City last travelled to play against Nottingham Forest, and Saturday will be the first top-flight meeting between the teams at the City ground since 1995. The last visit, though, came during City's promotion season in 2001-2002, but it came at a time when they weren't in great form. We all remember Kevin Keegan's side ripping up what's now the Championship, but in the October of that campaign, things were a lot more uncertain. Sam Roscoe picks up the story. It was a Sunday evening in October 2001 and City were at Nottingham Forest. It was live on ITV Digital and City's manager Kevin Keegan spoke to them before kick-off. Two football insides and uh, in this division you've got to be able to play against everything. I mean we've played physical sides and, and, and you know they are and you know what they do and it's still very hard to, to play against. And we've played football inside so Preston would be a football inside, uh, certainly Crewe and, and there's, there's many others obviously. Notts Forest are, are a young side that love to knock the ball around so uh, yeah two football insides. We should get a good game of football at least. Going into the game City weren't in great form. They had one win in their last five and had only taken maximum points from seven of their first 14 matches. They were seen as Division 1's entertainers though. Despite only being ninth in the table, they were already the leading scorers, but they also had the worst defence of the entire top half. That's possibly why this game was also shown in the cinema. The podcast David Mooney was there to watch it. It was at the Odeon on Oxford Road, uh, which I, it's not there anymore. I think it's a restaurant now. We turned up, we kind of got ushered into our seats. We, we, we had to buy tickets in the run-up to it. I remember Moonchester wandering up and down the aisles with a box of popcorn. Um, it was on ITV Digital, so that was a, that, that was a subscription service that had launched that season. Um, and it had Football League highlights and it had Football League uh, live games as well. So you couldn't watch it just on the normal telly. You had, you'd had to have a subscription to it. So maybe City had, had hired out the cinema and, and were, were putting a screening on or something. The game wasn't a blockbuster though. It would finish one all, and we'll come to how that happened shortly. But first, it was a big night for a veteran City defender. Stuart Pearce had signed that summer and he was a former Forest captain and a club legend at the city ground. He's been tremendous for us, but you know he gave them 12 years of his life when he, you know, he was just a fantastic uh, servant for this club. And, and the welcome he got when he came off the bus would uh, would say it all for him, really. I mean, he knows he's appreciated here, and the Manchester City fans love him. I mean, he'll only be here for a year, but uh, he's, he's been wonderful so far, both on and off the field. For Pierce and City, though, the game didn't get off to a great start. Off goes Brennan, Williams. Oh, perfect pass. And in towards Johnson. Mark Williams! Nottingham Forest take the lead through the Bartman. Well, great strike by Forrest. There it is, that thread down the left-hand side. Brennan certainly outstripping Benabi. I think Weaver did Forrest a favour, really, by knocking the ball back into Bart Williams' path. Just seven minutes in, City's leaky defence had let in another. But the travelling fans didn't have to wait long for the equaliser. Less than a minute later, Sean Goater scored in bizarre circumstances. Somewhat against the run of play, David, you have to say. Forrest are ahead. Well, certainly uh, Forrest of uh, City of Penn Forest back slightly. But when they go forward... Oh, it's a horrible error here. 
and Gota's in, and it's 1-1. Ward cannot believe it. Gota, as always, the quickest to react. Forest lead, a matter of seconds. That was Forest goalkeeper Darren Ward rolling the ball to one of his defenders, but Ricky Schimmicker had jogged away. In the mix-up, Gota picked up possession, stepped around the stranded keeper and passed it into the empty net. Here's the Gokes' memory of the goal told to the end of the year review DVD. I just thought it was strange what, what the keeper done. Um, but in terms of the importance of it, uh, in that game they, they were on top of us and, and they were very much passing the ball as we, we like to do. Um, but I, I just remember it because it was such, such a bizarre goal. I don't think you know you could watch football for years and years and you know, it'd be a long time before you see an, another girl like that. Meanwhile, Mooney explains how the reaction in the cinema was strange. I just remember it being a really, really weird experience. And I guess it probably wasn't helped as well by the fact that when, when City scored their equaliser, whoever was filming it, the cameraman, the director, they missed it. Um, they were, I think they were still showing a replay of, of something else because the, the goal was so unexpected. The director had, had cut away to, to a close-up of somebody else and suddenly the ball's in Nottingham Forest's net and like the away end's cheering in the city ground but in the, in, like, in the Odeon it's, it was, everyone was just a bit, oh, what, what's happened? Oh, we've scored sort of thing. So it's really just a, a really odd and, and surreal experience. Despite the reputation City were getting for being involved in high-scoring games, it would go on to finish one all, with both goals coming inside the opening 10 minutes. Afterwards, it was put to Keegan that he must have been happy with the result, but he was having none of it. Well, you'd be wrong. I'm not pleased with it. Uh, obviously, I just said to the lads, a point away from home is a good result, but uh, I, I think we can play better. I know we can play better. We've got two or three players missing, but, you know, that's not an excuse. I was a bit disappointed where we played, to be honest with you. Uh, Forest are a good young side. Um, they pass it a lot, um, especially from the back. So um, you, you've got to give them a bit of credit, but I, I, I was disappointed. You know, I mean, we've got a goal out of nothing because of a mix-up. We possibly deserved a point here tonight, but I don't think we did enough to win it, and that's what I told them. The manager was clearly worried by City's inconsistent performances. We now know that he'd go on to fix the problems and City would storm the division. But that October, he didn't seem so sure. ITV's interviewer Simon Hill suggested injuries forcing him to rotate the team hadn't helped either. I think that and a little bit of you know confidence still spilling over in some of the players from last season. Plenty of effort, plenty of good intentions, but um, no, I didn't. It's, it wasn't a great performance, but you know, a point away from home, if you win your own games, will get you out of any league. But. Um, you know, if we'd have played a bit better, we might have stole three here tonight. Kevin, unusual to see you looking so downcast, but thanks for talking to us anyway. I'm not downcast. I'm just being realistic. <laughs> Stuart Pearce also gave his reaction to ITV. He wasn't as upset with the point as his manager was. I think it was a fairly open game of football. Both teams want to play football. As I say, apart from sort of the first half skirmishes, there weren't too many clear-cut chances after that, but... From my point of view, it was a pleasure to come back and uh, play in front of these supporters. We've had reports on Forest, and to be fair, if you eradicate probably the first two or three weeks of the season, they're one of the strongest teams in this league, make no mistake about that. They probably play more football than any team in the league for a start. And um, as I say, they're picking results up as they go, and they're going to be a very difficult side to beat, especially at home. Pierce was then asked what it was like to return to the city ground. It was a bit emotional for you at the start, wasn't it? Was there a lump in your throat when you ran out? 
I'm afraid I'm too cold-hearted for that. I was only interested in a result for us, to be honest with you. You do surprise me. Yeah, it's just quite strange, isn't it? But no, it's, it, it's a play. It was an honour to play for this club. Um, they've always got a big, big part in my heart, to be honest with you. Um, I work for Manchester City now. I want to see us be successful, but I've got a lot of good friends here. City were successful that season, finishing the campaign as Division One champions. They were promoted back to the Premier League at the first attempt with 99 points and 108 goals across their 46 games. Nottingham Forest, meanwhile, would go on to have a less successful year. After the draw with City that October, they would win only six more times, leaving them 16th in the final standings, six places and five points above the relegation zone. Hi, I'm Paul Walsh and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium, and under every manager. Just go to statscity.co.uk and browse away. That's statscity.co.uk. The Blue Moon Podcast. If City won't let you down on the pitch, let us let you down off it instead. That was Sam Roscoe looking at the uh, Forest game last time City travelled to Forest. Um, Nick, I'll uh, I'll start with you because that like what, what do you remember of uh, of that game and uh, and and those uh, that season? It's kind of it's a slightly weird um, period in Forest's history. We, we uh, David Platt um, uh, had just left bafflingly to become England and twenty one manager. I say bafflingly because he was. Um, not a popular manager at Forest. His tenure, I think, summed up by the time I think it was at Sheffield United, where he uh, was he was still player manager at that time. He subbed himself on and got sent off about ten minutes later. Um, <laughs> it was a sort of, but it was a weird one because at the time it was a fairly grim two years of drudgery. But then it seemed that he had actually been doing quite a lot of decent work behind the scenes and then uh, the start of this season when Paul Hart had taken over was when quite a lot of the young players were starting to come through into the first team I, I particularly remember around this time Jermaine Genius coming through and it, yeah. it, it, seems, it seems a bit weird knowing the career that knowing that what the Genius sort of went on to become but at the time it was like he, it was like this kind of he was one of those kids that came through and, and everyone just went well he's not going to be with us for very long because he, he looked like Guardiola in in midfield, um, ad- admittedly surrounded by quite a lot of um, you know fairly hapless individuals. As the goal in that game, in the, uh, the 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 last game between us at the City Ground showed that was a sort of classic sort of slapstick moment for Forest around that time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was it was a, quite an odd period where uh, Forest had been obviously been relegated from the Premier League in nineteen ninety nine and for. A couple of years, it was like, well, you know, we'll be back in the top flights pretty soon. 
And it, I think it was probably around this time that Forrest were thinking, mm, yeah, actually, maybe we won't be. Yeah, uh, just in terms of uh, players as well, because obviously it was a, a big emotional night for Stuart Pearce. Um, what's what is Pearce to Forest fans? Because like Sam said, like like club, it described him as club legend in that feature there, but I, I don't know if that goes far enough, does it? Not really. I mean, certainly for 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 people of my generation who were uh, just a little bit too young for the, like the proper glory years under Clough, Pearce was the guy. He was the um, the the favorite. I, if you you speak to fans that are around my age kind of late 30s 40s he will would have been their favorite player as a kid um he, he was like uh, as the tackle he put in on i forget who it was like very early on in this game he absolutely plowed through the back of someone which was you know probably would have been red card these days but back then was um, play, play on <laughs> play, yeah, just, just play on just give it a rub and you'll be fine mate um, yeah he, he was this kind of really thrilling visceral player who and, and you know also uh, he, he obviously has a reputation as being um, a hard man slash lunatic but he was a really good footballer as well um, and you know for a left back to be that kind of really exciting really quite attacking player to watch he, but by the time he got to city he was uh, a little less mobile um but in his in his pomp he was one of the most exciting players i've seen play for forest yeah um just a, a, on a weird way ali um that that doesn't ring true for anything what city fans would say about stuart pierce given the <laughs> uh, given the managerial reign that he had at the, at, uh, at eastlands <laughs> Oh, it it wasn't pretty, was it? Um, I I I feel a little bit conflicted about Pierce because I always really liked him as a bloke. Um, he's he's uh, such a likable, admirable, um, uh, heroic figure. I'm not even English, as you probably work out. Um, but just you know, his his career was uh, stellar in so many ways, and then he had that managerial spell at City, which is honestly the bleakest period. <laughs> we one thing I'm quite proud about as a City fan is that we we don't easily go down on our managers. You know, we don't we don't demand someone get sacked when we have a, a few bad results. Um, but it did get really grim under Stuart Pearce in those <laughs> years, didn't it? Um, and yeah, uh, thankfully, um, with the, the passage of time, I kind of feel like a, a warm glow has settled over again. I don't think there's any outstanding hostility. I don't pick that up from City fans. Um, but but yeah, uh, it wasn't exactly what you call a match in match made in heaven. And uh, and I'm really glad that Forest fans have got their memories of him because you know he deserves those. Yeah. Um, Nick, let's bring it to this season then. Uh, how are things going at the moment for Forrest? Uh, all right, I think. Uh, there's there's a bit of a set... Like, everyone I've, I speak to uh, who's not a Forrest fan seems to, uh, when I say, yeah, still a bit worried about potential relegation, everyone seems to say, no, you'll be fine. You Don't worry about it. Which might well be true, given that there are probably three teams in more of a mess than Forrest at the moment. But... Um, First time we really scored goals, and as you, you may have seen last weekend, uh, two sort of probably first choice centre backs both d- got injured the same injury within about ten seconds of each other in separate incidents, which I'd, I've never really seen before, and it's just a bit <laughs> weird. So 
um, we have two centre back. You know, obviously having signed all the players uh, in Europe uh, uh, over um, two transfer windows, we it do has, have. It, it has been a mad trolley dash, hasn't it? It's it's been it's like it's like you've had uh, it's been on supermarket sweep or something with for football. Yeah, it's a bit it's, it's a bit difficult to work out what's more boring: the kind of jokes about the size of the dressing room or Forest fans responding saying, "Well, actually, we had to buy all these players because when we were <laughs> um, so well, they've effectively they've effectively relegated my club by signing Josh Bowler yeah. to Arcos, him not playing and then we missed missed out on him for six months yeah sorry about that um, <laughs> sorry it's a bit of I, I thought I'd add a bit, little bit of gloom to proceedings <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah kind of I mean Generally speaking, the atmosphere is is just one of huge optimism and like rebirth. I suppose. Um, obviously, the the the, um, the novelty of being back in the Premier League after twenty three years hasn't really worn off yet. Steve Cooper is, you know, a, an absolute hero, and I don't think you find many managers, sorry, many uh, fans who would argue he's probably like the the second greatest manager in the the club's or, or second biggest manager or hero in the club's history now after obviously Brian Clough um but there are uh, uh, you know there are uh, Forest are never too far away from a calamity and the the you know the two um centre back injuries in the same minute last weekend was a sort of oh yeah that's that's Forest that's that's what Forest are like yeah. uh, a, ge- I, I a gentle reminder of what can happen yeah yeah, yeah a gentle reminder um so yeah i you, you do I do worry about these um the kind of two, what effectively our second choice centre backs playing against Erling Haaland uh, at the weekend, but you know, it, it is it is it would be churlish of me to be too downhearted about uh, about Forest at the moment, but I, I, I am I, I don't think we're quite as secure as a lot of people seem to think we are. Yeah, um, Jack, we um, I'm very sorry, my cat is now scratching the microphone. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> off, come on. There we go. She she's annoyed um, about Forrest's transfer business with Josh. Bobby, yeah, so. I thought I thought yeah. that might be it. Um, Jack, I, I've been saying uh, through the last kind of six eight weeks or so that City haven't really looked like a side that will put one of those runs together where they'll, where they'll win kind of ten, eleven, twelve games on the bounce. Yeah, because you're um, an eternal pessimist. Yeah, that is true. But <laughs> I I was also working on the evidence of the season so far, and I'm wondering if if this is the week where the evidence of the season suggests that you know maybe that could change now. Are you wondering that? Are you saying that? I'm I'm asking you to tell me that that is the case so that I change my mind. Right, okay. Uh, I don't <laughs> think that's the case, personally. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think it's too early to tell. Um, but as we said before, the, you know, the, the character they showed um, at the Emirates was, was something possibly that uh, a few of us didn't think they had in them at the moment. Um, so that's a really positive sign. And the, also, the other thing is what Guardiola has been saying over the last few days about them returning to their sort of principles in training and how everyone's more focused and how the players are actually listening to him when he when they're having meetings and he's talking to them and things like that suggests that they have turned a corner and if they've turned a corner then yeah there's uh they could go on one of those one of those runs because you could never you can never say they won't because the quality of the players they've got and the experience they've got in these sort of title races is is massive. Um, I mean, the interesting thing about the the change, the change in attitude in training is he said to us on, uh, I 
can't remember whether it was this week or last Friday or maybe it's Sunday. I can't remember. No, no, it was Sunday actually. He said uh, the last seven or ten days, it's been absolutely like training's been amazing, um, all completely changed. And I totted up the days, and he said, "Yeah, the last seven to ten days have been great." Jao Cancelo had left twelve days earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny that. Um, Ali, in terms of uh, of selection for for Forest, we, uh, we we didn't really talk about Jack Grealish in the first part of the show, um, but he's he's having a, a good few. He's having a good, he's in a good moment right now, as Guardiola might say. He's really grown into the team. He's he's an important player for City's title hopes this season now, isn't he? Uh, huge. Uh, he's been the um, the kind of shining light, the bright, the, or the <laughs> occasionally the uh, the saving grace of our season uh, all you know, all year, pretty much. Um, and I'm really happy for him uh, because he's had so much stick, and a lot of it I feel has been undeserved. And he now looks as if he knows exactly what his job is, and he's doing it really well. Uh, whereas for his first season and a bit maybe, uh, he looked like he knew what his job was meant to be, but he didn't really have the confidence or or he always erred on the side of caution so as not to make a mistake. Uh, and he's got a spring in his step. He's he's obviously enjoying his game and everybody's enjoying seeing him. So, uh, yeah, it, it's... Uh, uh, first name on the team sheet we- at the moment? Pretty much, I think. Yeah, I mean, we we have a lot of first names in the team. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's one of them. He's um, for, for a big he game. was benched for Forest on Saturday. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think we're now at the stage of the season where we're going to be playing two games a week for pretty much without exception between now and and June. Uh, so we will have everybody will be getting weeks on the bench. Um, I think actually we'll probably see a lot of changes on Saturday and I wouldn't be overly surprised if uh, if Nick doesn't have to worry about uh, his two centre centre backs having to face Haaland because I think they might well be facing Alvarez instead. Um, oh, that's fine then. I was going to say, I'm not sure how much good news three, that is. Three points are in the bag. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, um, I, I think uh, we will be seeing, you know, like we, we have to see the rotation because you know no one can play two games a week for for whatever it is, fourteen weeks or whatever, still to go. Um, so uh, I, I think Jack probably will play on Saturday, um, and certainly whenever we've got our our biggest matches and and when you know when there's a, a full first choice team, he will always be on it. Um, I think the the one thing I'd really like to see is the uh, Grealish on the left and Foden on the right combination with Haaland between them that we saw at the start of the season only once or twice, and it looked really fine. It looked really good, and then we never saw it again. Um, so, you know, that that's something I'm, I'm looking forward to for the rest of the season. That's, that's, happened in four, that's happened in four games, those three playing together right. from the start. Yeah. They scored 15 goals in those four games. Wow. <laughs> yeah, well, there. That, that, that suggests that it's not just my eyes playing tricks on me, that there is something going on there. Um, I mean, it, it did coincide. Uh, those games coincided with when we were playing really well and blowing teams away at the start of the season. Uh, and whether it's uh, cause or effect, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but it, it, I think one thing we will see against Forrest, and, and I, uh, obviously we, would, we wouldn't, Pep Guardiola would never disrespect any Premier League team. Um, 
but I think he will use it as an opportunity to get some players that have dropped to the fringes uh, over recent weeks back in, in the starting lineup. So I think I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Phil Foden start. Wouldn't be surprised to see Laporte start. Wouldn't be surprised to see um, uh, who else? Uh, Alvarez, as, as I say. Um, so, you know, we might well have three or four changes. Uh, but remember, I think one of the best performances we've seen in this calendar year so far was in the, uh, the cup game against Chelsea when he played pretty much our, our uh, second string team yeah. and we absolutely blew them away and were fabulous. So uh, it's not necessarily good news for Nick, but I think we will see changes. Yeah, Nick, how about uh, how about for Forrest uh, at the moment? Who are the players that are in form? Who, who could cause City problems? Well, I mean, uh, the the you, you were talking about Grealish and, and Foden being on, on the flanks. The, the, weirdly, that, it's not that they don't worry me, but probably our, two of our better players this season have been the the fullbacks, uh, Ren and Lodi, uh, implausibly on loan from um, Atletico Madrid, and uh, even more implausibly Serge Aurier, who's been really good. Which is, <laughs> you know, he, he was he was one of the kind of um, sort of afterthought signings. Forest have done this thing where they where they've been in both transfer windows. have been so committed to signing players that they've signed a couple of players after the transfer window is finished. Um, <laughs> so Oreo being one of them in uh, in sort of early September. And no, I, I don't think anybody really thought that, that it was worthwhile. He's not got a great, great reputation, but he's been great so far. Occasionally being caught out of position and he's an absolute world-class um make a mistake and then make it very clear to everyone else who should have been covering it. Um, but, yeah, that th- those two have been pretty good. We might have Ryan Yates back, who's been out for a few weeks um, with uh, with a kind of virus that, that, that they, they weren't entirely clear on what it was, but they seem to have got the bottom of it now and he, he may well be available. Um, I think he'll be incredibly important if Forrester have any chance of, dis- sort of disrupting things in midfield. Uh, and the other one is Morgan Gibbs-White, who is, um, you know, costs a lot of money, but whatever um, whatever Forrester ends up paying for him, he's going to be a bargain because he's... Uh, we Forrest struggle to sort of create chances a little bit, but he's the most creative player in the team and he's he, he does at least one thing every game which makes me uh, inspires a very sort of curious noise of pleasure um which you know it, it, it is i mean it's not all you want it could do with a few more goals from him but um he's the sort of creative hub everything kind of tends to to go through him um so uh you know him against uh rodri if assuming rodri plays and it's not you know calvin phillips or someone um that would be a, a pretty interesting one, I think. Yeah. Jack, I want to bring this question in from Parky on Twitter, who says, uh, what's going on with Phil Foden? Uh, he was superb before the World Cup, and while I know he's been injured recently, feels like we just haven't seen anything like what we could have done from him. Is it all down to Grealish playing well, or do you think something has happened behind the scenes? Um, he was ill for the Spurs game, uh, but it, it does feel like we've we've barely seen anything of him. Is this a hospital pass of a question, this, isn't it? Well, I'm, I'm just wondering, <laughs> is this, is, is this like, as Ali says, is this the time where, where, he, where we can start to see him a bit more into the team now? Yeah, you, uh, over the um, over the years under Pep, you like sort of there have been instances of of really good players dropping out of the team for weeks and sometimes months, and you go, God, what? Where have they gone? What's happened to him? And and there might have been something happened behind the scenes that that never came out, um, and then they come back in and they're brilliant, and you forget all about 
the uh, the previous two or three months or whatever. Hopefully that'll be the same same for Foden. He did Guardiola did predict a couple of years ago that he would have a dip because he he scaled such amazing heights. It had to uh, plateau at some point, didn't it? Yeah, yeah there was always going to be sort of a drop off, um, which Guardiola was saying was. I mean, Guardiola was saying this before the Champions League final when Foden was, you know, absolutely incredible week in, week out. And said, you know, this will this will happen. And it has happened. Um, I, did a, I did a piece on him last week, sort of, wanted to bill it as like the curious case of Phil Foden, what's going on sort of thing. And, you know, there have been a number of uh, episodes over the last couple of years with, with Foden off the pitch that, you know, don't don't help him. And there's been, you know, there's been some people that are not 100% convinced on some of his lifestyle choices and things like that. So I think it all just, when you put all those things into a pot. Um, is, is, it, is it very easy to kind of get two plus two equals five out of that though for the last few weeks? Um, It can do. Yeah, it can be. The, it might be that he's just, He's got a bit of a hangover from the World Cup. The World Cup, he probably about par for him. He, he did well, but in in fits and starts, but I didn't really sort of. I don't think he really made the shirt his own and drove England on in a way that someone who is as good as him should. Uh, I also think he's been hampered by playing left wing, um, and you know you can't forget that he did a tremendous job for the team last year by playing as a false nine, which is not. You know, doesn't play to his strengths at all. And actually, Ali was mentioning the Chelsea game the other week when uh, in the cup played in the middle in behind a striker that that day and was absolutely fantastic. And you just sort of look at it and go, if De Bruyne wasn't there, does Foden just play there every week and run games? Uh, and we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be having these conversations. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but is it? It's it's an interesting situation at the moment because City are better when Foden plays. They always have been. So they've got to find a way to get him fit and firing and happy, uh, which means that he's got to dislodge one of Grealish or, or Mares, And Mares is sort of the go-to, go-to guy at the moment for, for Guardiola. He's got a bit of a, a little bit of a battle on his hands, I think. Get a dollop of City Nostalgia every Monday. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Nick, in terms of uh, um, Forrest's weaknesses at the moment, uh, I mean, obviously you mentioned the centre-backs and, and the injuries. Where, where do you think, uh, where, where else are you most worried about on the team? If that wasn't the case, what would you be most worried about from Forrest's, re- Forrest's recent performances? Um, possibly, well, it sort of depends who's, who is picked in midfield. The couple of players, um, Oromangala and uh, Remo Freuler, who were both pretty decent but can't really play together in as much as they're both allergic to passing the ball forwards, um, which is a bit of a problem. Um, so again, as I, as I kind of mentioned earlier on, scoring goals is a bit of an issue. And um, uh, first signed Chris Wood in January, who... Um, so far, 
I was just trying to th- thinking whether I should put this diplomatically or or, or not. <laughs> no, he's, absolutely he's, not. <laughs> okay, he's been awful. Um, uh, he, he hasn't been doing any of the things that he's, he's supposed to be doing. He hasn't really been winning headers, which is like, uh, you, you know, come on, Jesus Christ. Chris, just give us something here. Um, you, I, I'll, I'll take not, you know, ripping up defenses and, and scoring loads of goals. But if Chris Wood isn't winning headers, uh, then you, you, you're in some got some problems. It's a bit, a bit of a shame because the, the injury list is pretty long at the moment. There is obviously the centre backs thing, but um, Tyro Wanyi, who um, started off a bit ropely and then sort of a. a Partly just before the World Cup break, and then in the few games after that, it was really starting to look good. Um, if anyone watched the Forest Chelsea game, um, uh, which was around the turn of the year, I think it was one-one, but a, a one you really gave Thiago Silva a hard time, um, and he got injured uh, a few weeks ago, which was a real pity. Um, so yeah, scoring goals is is a bit of an issue. Um, if Brennan Johnson doesn't have a, a decent game, and you know he's still he he's threatening, but he's possibly still not quite like Premier League quality in terms of the sort of touch and finishing and technical ability. If, if he doesn't score goals, then we're we're in a bit of trouble. Or you know, if, also if we don't score goals from set pieces. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, when I think about it. When you've asked me about weaknesses, I've cited the defense, the midfield, <laughs> and scoring goals. So uh, I'm giving the impression of it that everything is terrible and it's all bad, which it isn't. Um, but you know, um, there are a few issues in in the team which. Um, uh, are developing, shall we say? The one area you didn't mention there, Nick, was goalkeeper, um, and obviously oh, yeah. been quite quite an eye catching uh, loan move in with Keylor Navas. Uh, will yeah. he be playing? And, and how's he doing? He will be playing. He's been he's been pretty good. Uh, well, I mean, he's, he's only played two games. He was really good. One nil win against Leeds. Um, Letting two against Fulham, but don't think either of them are really his fault. Um, he's incredibly reassuring, and I'm kind of talking about him in a way that sort of seems to suggest it's a normal thing that Kaylar Navas is in goal for Nottingham Forest. <laughs> I'm just I'm just thinking though from what everything you've said so far, he's due an injury in the next kind of few hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that was mean, David. That was mean. <laughs> Come on, mate. Don't uh, it'd be Wayne Hennessy in goal if uh, if he's not and, and don't you know, don't sort of frighten me like that. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's it's completely absurd of that he's there, and it's the weirdest thing is that we needed uh, Dean Henderson uh, is uh, on loan for Manchester United, and he's injured at the moment. He's been really good, although you do have to sort of say a few hail marys when he's got the ball at his feet. Um, and Kevin Navas is not like that, and it's it, it, it is oh, in the two games so far anyway. It's been incredibly sort of reassuring when he's been there. If you can. Get past the weirdness of it being Kaylor Navas in goal for Forest, particularly during the Leeds game, and the commentator was making reference to Kaylor Navas playing in the game. It did take a few seconds uh, for me to remember that he was playing for Forest, and this all. I'm aware that this all does sound a little bit small time, but it is after the kind of 23 years of broadly terrible drudgery that um, Forrest suffered in the second and third tiers, it is pretty odd to have four Brazilians and like four, I think they're all, I think they're all internationals. 
they've certainly all been called up for uh, the, the Brazil team if they, haven't, if they haven't actually played games. Yeah, to have four Brazilian internationals and Kayla Navas in the team, it's takes a bit of getting used to. It's a little bit kind of, <laughs> it, it feels a little bit like, oh, we're just impressed with the famous people. But, um, you know, when you're used to having, you know, that's uh, Tony Vaughan. There you go. There's a, there's, there's, a, there's mutual, a common link. Yeah. There's a mutual, uh, forest city link when you used to kind of used to having players of, of the, uh, sort of Tony Vaughan oeuvre in your team, then it is, you know, it's, it, it's, it's quite nice. It's quite nice. Yeah. Well, Nick, we got the charity bet shortly, so uh, let's get a score prediction from you for that for uh, for this game. Yeah, I think I'd love to be more optimistic, but I think it'd be relatively straightforward win for City three one. I think. Good. Well, uh, we'll we'll put that on Nick. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on today's show, Nick Miller from the Athletic. No problem. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, now, the Champions League returns for City on Wednesday, and it's a trip to RB Leipzig coming up. In a moment, we'll hear from the reporter with Sky Sports, Philipp Hinzer. But first, I've been speaking to the former German footballer turned journalist Guido Schaefer to find out more about Wednesday's opponents. Yes, I think it, it was very important that uh, Marco Rose uh, is the, the, will come uh, in, or came in, in, in September to, to RB Leipzig. He uh, brought back the, the dynamic uh, match, the, the intense in the, in the, in the game from, from the squad. And uh, I think they are on the, on the good journey. But in this moment, uh, to be honest, they have many personal problems. And that would be a great problem in the, in the games against Manchester City. Yeah, what uh, what what have those problems been at the moment? It's because it, it it seems just look again just looking from the outside, the results seem to have been pretty good up until uh, they played Union yes. Berlin. Um, so what what have the problems been? Yes, the big problem is is called Christopher Nkunku. Uh, he's he's the man. He he makes a difference. Huh? He's the the best um, player in the in the Bundesliga, and uh, I think you you know that he will go to to Chelsea, London. Yes, <laughs> sadly for for Manchester City. He's, for me, he's a he's a brilliant and perfect guy. And uh, yes, I said to you, he makes a difference. And without players uh, which are able to make the difference, it's very very. Uh, 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 difficult to play against uh, teams like Union Berlin. They have good defense, and uh, then you need players like Nkungu. He makes new situations, he creates new uh, situations in the match and uh, open new horizons. And okay, he's not the, in the squad, and also Danny Olmo, another uh, player who's uh, able to make the difference. And without Nkungu and without Olmo, I think the big favorite is Manchester City. Yeah, just looking again at um, at Leipzig's position in in the table, um, it, it doesn't really. I, I expected them to be higher up based on the results that I'd seen recently. Well, how have they how have they been doing this season, especially since the World Cup? Uh, they will start with uh, Domenico Tedesco, yes, uh, and uh, they they in the last season they won the, the the cup, the German cup, and it was a first and great uh, victory for for this club, but. In the former times with Domenico Tedesco, uh, it wasn't so so intense the match, and uh, uh, he plays very slow and uh, without without speed and without power. And uh, but when they won the, the title, it wouldn't be able to to send him away to to get rid of him. And um, then after five or six matches in the Bundesliga, they had only five points. And uh, then the, the great boss reacted and uh, Oliver Minsov said, OK, it's no way 
with with Domenico Desco, the way the 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 way is on the end, and now Marco Rosa and Marco Rosa, he's born in Leipzig, he's uh, he was a professional player in Leipzig, also in Mainz, and he was the coach from Borussia Dortmund, and Dortmund said to Marco Rosa, oh you are not good enough, you, you get no second season in our legendary club, and then. It was uh, the, the choice or the opportunity for, for Leipzig and for Marco Rosa to work together. And since this time, it's, 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 it's brilliant, yes. But uh, the results are okay. Uh, the, uh, the way they play football is, is also okay. But I told you, you have no Nkungu, you have no um, Olmo. And also, you have uh, Timo Werner. He's not in a good shape. He came uh, out of a, a big injury. And without these three players, this is not so easy to compare. Yeah, they are just looking ahead to the game uh, with City. They they obviously they have Wolfsburg um, on uh, on Saturday and beforehand. Um, what are you expecting from Leipzig to to, to play against City? Are, are you, we've we've seen a, a few different styles from Leipzig, uh, as you say, recently. What uh, what do you expect they'll do to to try and play against City? I think uh, uh, Rosa will, will will win every match. He he played against Real Madrid and uh, in Madrid also at home. Very good and intense matches. And uh, he's he's a man who wants to to play a courage a courage team and uh, and a, a team with 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 power. And uh, I'm sure and also self confidence. I'm sure he will he will win. Both matches against Manchester, yes, and he, he won't go to through the next stage in the Champions League. But he knows exactly what is what is possible against uh, Manchester City. Where where is he pressing uh, pressing line? I think he he wouldn't uh, press on the uh, in the deep in the in the half from 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 Manchester City. But uh, he he will he will say to his 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 man his, his team, we want to celebrate a big party. And we are proud to be part of the party with Manchester City, and let's have fun. Show our fans we are we are able to make, to create a, a, a very nice match, and we are able perhaps to beat them. And uh, I think this is the most important uh, impact which Rosa gives his teams. He says, "Man, it's football. We love this sport. We earn a lot of money. Okay, let's do it." Go and play football. When City is uh, on stage, when City is in, in, in the top performance, when they 100% fit, then it's it's very, very, very difficult to stop them. It's, perhaps they are unstoppable on, on some some days. But uh, I think uh, there is a, li- a little chance for, for Leipzig. Uh, also, because Man City isn't, yet, isn't so brilliant in the last few matches, and they have their own problems. Also, the speeches about the financial things, and uh, there are many rumors. And I think, okay, RB needs two legendary days, and perhaps a Man, a Man City team that is not in in his best uh, shape. And then, yes, for me, it's nearly sure we go through against Man City. Yeah. <laughs> so, looking at uh, at the squad, you've mentioned a couple of players who um, who who may not play. Um, who are the players that uh, that are dangerous for Leipzig at the moment? Who, who who are the players if if Leipzig are going to get a result across these two legs? Who will who will do it? Uh, I think uh, the most dangerous player for for Man City is uh, is Willy Orban. He's the for, for me is the is 
a legendary player. He had no big skills, but he's a big man. He has he has a great power, a good mentality. He's the chief of the of the defense and also in the offense standards uh, and uh, corners. And he's a very good man in the a uh, very good header. And uh, I think this is uh, this is a dangerous man for for Manchester City. But Timo Werner now is not is not in form. He's uh, as he, he made this, the wrong decisions in, in, in three from four situations. And he's not as fast as he was before he had this, his injury. And also, uh, Andre Silva, uh, Portuguese forward. He's a good player, a good technique, but I think I'm faster than him. And I'm 58. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just to finish then, Guido, uh, let's yes. uh, let's have a score prediction for uh, the first leg of the game. What uh, what do you think it'll be? Pardon me. Uh, what what would your score prediction be for uh, oh. the first leg of the game? <laughs> In Germany, we called it uh, v tips to a tip. Oh, a tip. Yes. yes, yes, a tip. Oh, a tip. Yes, um, I uh, a draw, a two-two. two-two, two-two. Two-two, and we are very proud, my friend, that this great match uh, would start in in Leipzig and with Pep Guardiola, Erling Haaland. It's so it's a, a dream comes true for for whole Leipzig that uh, we we are able to to play against such teams. And uh, yes, uh, we're looking forward. And the the fans are very very lovely. They love football, and they are they are not so so I know uh, aggressive. Now they are they are lovely. And uh, they will invite the Manchester City fans for, for a beer. And uh, it would be a very, very nice atmosphere. Uh, so we can now bring in Philip Hinzer, who is a, a TV reporter for Sky Sports in Germany. Um, Philip, uh, the last time City played uh, Leipzig in Germany, uh, Leipzig won. It was the final game of the, of the group in, uh, in December 2010. And uh, Leipzig had no manager. We just heard how uh, Domenico Tedesco came in after that game, changed the style a bit. How have things been since, uh, since they appointed Marco Rose earlier this season? Yeah, it was a different situation. So uh, Rosa took over for Tedesco and the football is uh, very different. So um, it's not the defensive style or the counter-attack style. It's a mix uh, out of possession football, very um, straight possession. And of course, the, the high press from the RB Salzburg school for uh, past years. So it's a very, very attractive football uh, possession, pressing, counter-attacks. It's a mix. It's not just one. So they are very, very um, successful with it. Yeah, it sounds uh, it, it sounds the sort of thing that City might struggle with, if I'm being honest. Um, how do you think Marco Rosa will set up against City? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very difficult game, I think. So City are the favourites, of course, uh, along with the players with Haaland, De Bruyne um, and uh, Guardiola as the manager. So... I think it will be so they they've won the game in the group stage against Real Madrid uh, because they played very very courageous so uh, they they press high a lot of energy very intense game from Leipzig so that could be the key um so don't be don't be shy uh, don't have fear against City so you have two legs of course of course you are the underdog but maybe a courageous style of football could be the key yeah, are they are they the sort of team that likes to get it down and and pass through the lines sort of thing as well? 
Yeah, yeah, maybe so. And um, Christian Kunku, uh, yeah, the the main striker, the the key player, is is uh, finally back out of uh, Leipzig uh, side. So um, uh, he he was injured with his knee, so eighty four days without team training. And last week, um, he he began with team training. Um, and this week against Wolfsburg on Saturday, he could be or he will be in the squad, of course, and maybe get some minutes. And then maybe next week against City. So he could be a starter, but uh, definitely will be in the squad on the bench. So this is the X factor for, for Leipzig. Uh, Olmo is, uh, is injured, so they need Nkunku, of course. Uh, but in summer, he will join Chelsea. But he's uh, one of the best players in the Bundesliga. Yeah, this uh, just looking at the the other players in the squad. Um, who are the players that if if Leipzig are to get a result against City here, um, who are the players that will do it? Yeah, so there's Dominic Zobosly uh, in, in the in the centre. So uh, maybe on on the six, on the eight, or on the ten, he's very flexible. He's a very good player. He's fast, good ability to 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 decide games. So he's very very talented. That uh, could be an X factor as well, and. Um, the the defensive center within Schlager Xaver Schlager and Konrad Leimer are very aggressive, uh, very intense. Uh, so it's an Austrian duo. Uh, they know each other for a long time. So this is very very good. But uh, uh, Leimer is uh, a little bit um, yeah injured, but but not not as as hard as he could uh, fail the game against City. But I think Schlager Zobosly Leimer. Kunku, of course, maybe uh, the, the centre-backs with Orban, Guardiol, a lot of quality. And um, yeah, for example, Joshua Guardiol, one of the best centre-backs in the world in the, in the next year. So he will be very, very expensive if you, if you want to get him. So um, yeah, the, the hope from, from RB Leipzig on, on these players, of course. Yeah, um, just looking at uh, at the Bundesliga table as well. Um, Bayern Munich aside, uh, Leipzig are, are the joint top scorers along with uh, along with Dortmund. Um, uh, how are they going forward? How how do they like to attack? Yeah, uh, they were eighteen games unbeaten uh, till till the last weekend. New uh, Berlin, the the uh, second in German division, uh, yeah, won the game in Leipzig uh, with two one. So. The the eighteen game streak was incredible. Uh, yeah, very very successful uh, with a with a defensive um, stability. So this was very good, but also offensive. Um, yeah, they they create a lot. Uh, they were very very dangerous uh, with crosses or with passes in the center. Uh, the pass accuracy is very very high. So um, eighteen games unbeaten was a was a great streak. But I think the defeat against Union maybe a, a little decider in the title race. Yeah, then it was a um, a deep punch uh, in the face of Leipzig. So uh, at first. Well, before the city game is Wolfsburg. If you lose or if you don't win this game, you can say goodbye to the title race. So it's also important um, to get this one. But of course, uh, yeah, the, the minds are at the Champions League. I think so. It's a big game for Leipzig. Yeah, where uh, where do you think City could attack Leipzig? Where what what weaknesses do they have in in, in the squad? What will Guardiola be looking at and going? That's that's where we can uh, where we can cause some damage. Um. So. Yeah, I think every position um, for, for, by three players are are individually better than Leipzig. So the, the quality is, of course, uh, very high and, and higher than the Leipzig team. So um, 
if you if you can find Erling Haaland with a with a classic De Bruyne across, it's dangerous for every team. But I think um, the the um, yeah oppressive possession, uh, if if I could say this oppressive possession from City City could be the the, the game changer. So Leipzig don't know. Uh, this style of of play against them in the Bundesliga, um, so this could be the key. So City's possession and possession left, right, front, back, left, right. This could be very tired for the for the minds of of Leipzig. So I think this, uh, in combination with the individual style of play with Haaland, De Bruyne, and Co. Yeah, how uh, how are you expecting this game to go? What uh, what what sort of uh, of patterns of play are you expecting? Because you know, in, in most of these games, City tend to have a lot of the ball. Um, what are Leipzig like out of possession, for instance? Yeah, I think it will be a tight game in the first leg uh, with with some um, yeah pressing moments by Leipzig because uh, the possession is high. You said it. Uh, there there will be pressing moments and maybe counter attacks. So th- this can be. The, the game plan, but be courageous, um, be be straight. Maybe not not a defensive pressing. Maybe a mix out of midfield and attacking pressing with with good moments and counter attacks. This could be the Leipzig style. But of course, the City's qualities are are unbelievable high. One of the best teams in the world with a great manager. So I think a tight game in the first leg, um, but of course City will 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 do it in in both legs. So. Maybe, maybe a um, yeah, a tight game and then a clear game at, at the at the end. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was a look at RB Leipzig for this coming week. Uh, now it's charity bet time. The total on the charity bet is now £645 for the season so far. That's thanks to Frankie Maguire from All Villa No Filler, who correctly predicted City's 3-1 win over Villa last week. Uh, I actually had 3-1 to Arsenal in the game on Wednesday, so uh, that uh, everyone that was tweeting is saying, well done, Mooney. Yeah, not well done at all. Um, it's all going towards the Man City Fans Food Bank support group. They're collecting from Manchester Central Food Bank. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single. Uh, we heard from Nick that he thinks the Forest game is going to be 3-1 to City. That is 11-1 to and £110 if he's right. Uh, Jack, what are you having? Uh, 3-0 City. Uh, 3-0 City is 15-2 to and uh, £75 if you're right. Ali? Uh, feeling bullish, I'll go with 4-0. 4-0 City, 12-1 to and uh, £120 if you're right. Uh, Ali, we'll stick with you for the, uh, for the Leipzig game. Where are you going with that one? Uh, I think it's going to be tight and I think it'll be 1-2. We'll win 2-1. 2-1 City win is uh, 15 to 2 and 75 pounds if you're right. Uh, we heard from Guido uh, earlier on 2-2 he's gone for which is 12 to 1 and 120 pounds. And Jack that leaves us with you what are you going for for Leipzig? Uh, I'm going for 3-1 Leipzig but I do want to place on record that both of my score predictions that I wanted to give Ali had already given them both. <laughs> that is true. Um, and Great uh, mind. Much, much better to spread the bets, in my opinion, than, yes. uh, than, bank, on, yes. uh, than bank on one. Uh, but 3-1 is 12-1 to one and £120 if you are right. Uh, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on gambling responsibly, take a look at begambleaware.org. And that's the end of this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And thanks to my guests, Jack Gorn. Thank you, mate. Cheers. And to Ali Fogg. Absolute pleasure. Stay tuned for a clip of this week's Patreon show. It's an hour-long flashback to the 99-2000 promotion season. I'll be back next week to review the games against Forest and Leipzig, so I'll see you then.
That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. So the beautiful thing about the Kennedy goal is that was like, this is it, it's definitely done now. And I still, when I think of that goal, because you can be at games, but you watch the highlights so much, it's hard to think of like where you were in the ground, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I still think of that Kennedy goal of like sitting right behind it at the other end of the ground and seeing the ball coming over and just knowing he's going to score here and we're going up. And I don't know if that's the right way to describe this, but that sort of, that goal going in the ground then, I'd say I was 13, nearly 14 at the time. And it felt, made my eyes sort of tingle a bit, which I think would be the first time I ever did grown up crying. Yeah. Rather than you because know, you're a kid, you cry all the time when you're having a tantrum. Something I'm very well versed in now. With <laughs> but um, yeah, and adults get sort of like misty eyed at things. That, that that was the first time in my life I got misty eyed about anything because where do you get misty eyed when you're 13? You do it because of Manchester City because they're ridiculous. Um, yeah. I love that Kennedy goal. Um, God, yeah, what an afternoon. It, it was amazing. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And join us again next time for another episode.